It's Saturday, June the 5th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, House Democrats own infrastructure plan and Facebook's Trump ban. First, the week in brief. Democrats in America's House of Representatives unveiled an infrastructure bill that would spend $547 billion to upgrade roads and public transport over five years. Their announcement came as President Joe Biden prepared for more negotiations with Republicans on his own $1 trillion infrastructure plan. Yesterday, Mr. Biden reportedly offered to scrap a proposed corporate tax rate increase in exchange for a deal. Facebook said it would suspend Donald Trump for two years rather than indefinitely after its independent oversight board criticized its handling of America's former president. Mr. Trump's social media activity was held partly responsible for the deadly storming of the Capitol on January 6th. The external board said the company needed to be more transparent in its decisions. America created nearly 560,000 new jobs in May, slightly fewer than some economists had predicted, but a significant improvement on the 278,000 jobs added in April. Unemployment fell below 6% for the first time since the start of the pandemic to 5.8%. The figures suggest that America's economic rebound and generous fiscal stimulus have not created a labor shortage. Hong Kongers did their best to mark the anniversary of the massacre around Tiananmen Square in 1989, despite the government again banning an annual vigil in Victoria Park. Hundreds of people, clad in black and with mobile phones illuminated, skirted the park, where riot police had been stationed. Hong Kong had been the only place on Chinese soil where mass remembrance of the events in Beijing 32 years ago took place. Meanwhile, Bing, Microsoft's search engine, blamed, quote, human error after it blocked searches for, quote, tank man from returning an iconic picture from the Tiananmen Square protests. America and Britain were among the countries in which the image was withdrawn. Bing is one of the few Western search engines allowed to operate in China where it is heavily censored. China itself brooks no online mention of the massacre. The European Union agreed to ban Belarusian airlines from flying over the bloc's territory or landing in its airports starting at midnight on Friday. The measures are the first in a barrage of sanctions the EU vowed to levy against the regime after its autocratic government hijacked a Ryanair jet last month to arrest Roman Protasevich, an opposition activist. Germany's most senior Catholic cleric, Cardinal Reinhard Marx, offered to resign as Archbishop of Munich because of sex abuse within the church. Over 3,600 children, mostly boys, were abused by Roman Catholic priests in Germany between 1946 and 2014. The Cardinal said he shared responsibility for a, quote, systemic failure. The Pope is considering his offer. And word of the week... Nomophobia, noun, fear of being separated from your mobile phone. And now, here's today's agenda. Wealthy patron, the Biden administration and the arts. On Sunday, the Kennedy Center Honors, a celebration of America's performing arts, will be broadcast on CBS. 
Though the 43rd edition was delayed by COVID-19 and the glitzy guest list was pared back, the ceremony reflects the keenness of members of the culture sector to resume business in the wake of the pandemic. Normalcy has already returned in one way. President Joe Biden met the honorees at the White House prior to the event, a tradition Donald Trump had forsaken during his tenure. And the Biden administration is promising to put money where its mouth is. On May 28th, the president announced aid for the arts as part of his proposed $6 trillion budget. Should Congress approve the figures, federal agencies supporting museums, libraries and the humanities will get sizable sums. Next year, the National Endowment for the Arts will receive $201 million, which the agency calls, quote, significant and historic, $33.5 million more than in 2021. Human Echolocation – Getting Around with Sound Marvel Comics' blind superhero Daredevil makes up for his missing vision with his sixth sense of echolocation. Whereas Daredevil's supernatural sonar is fantastical, some blind folk really do learn to echolocate. By making clicking sounds and then interpreting the returning echoes, they can orient themselves and navigate their surroundings. New work in the journal PLOS One describes the process of 12 blind and 14 sighted people who underwent echolocation training. The 10-week program greatly improved click-based echolocation skills of all the participants, none of whom had any prior experience with it. By the end, some could even echolocate almost as well as their expert instructors. Encouragingly, the blind participants later enthusiastically described the benefits of the technique to their mobility, independence and overall well-being. This program exemplified how to exploit the human brain's extraordinary plasticity, and perhaps equipping the visually impaired with a real-life superpower will hasten the demise of that fallacious simile, blind as a bat. Nomadland IRL more Americans are trying out van life. Are you still doing the van thing? An acquaintance asks Fern, Francis McDormand, in the recent Oscar winner Nomadland. It is a question increasing numbers of Americans may face. About 140,000 vans, RVs or boats were counted as housing units in 2019, up from 102,000 in 2016. The circumstances of those living in vans can vary wildly. Some have no choice. Other, quote, van-lifers covet a nomadic and social media-friendly bohemian lifestyle. Most of the 10 million hashtag van-life photos on Instagram feature pristine western landscapes, a van that resembles a Manhattan studio apartment, and at least one smiling 20-something. The trend looks likely to stick. Surging house prices and the normalization of remote work may push more wannabe nomads out onto the road. But Instagram offers a shiny portrayal of an often dirty existence, a more honest depiction of the endless search for parking, toilets and showers might not be so alluring. A minor tragedy, baseball's stricken hinterland. Minor league baseball in America was another of COVID-19's victims. Its 162 teams were forced to cancel their 2020 season, losing 40 million or so prospective ticket sales at a stroke. 
Instead of helping its poor relations through this calamity, Major League Baseball, the game's monopolistic overseer that is run by its bigger teams, exploited the pandemic to weaken them further. With political attention elsewhere, Major League Baseball, which had raked in almost $11 billion in 2019, cut its roster of minor league affiliates by 42 and tightened its control over the remaining 120. This has cast a shadow over the recent return of live baseball to the many small towns where the minor league teams tend to be based. Major League Baseball has helped most of the teams it has cut loose join independent leagues, but their prospects remain uncertain. Of the 202 teams that have played in such leagues over the past 30 years, almost half folded within four years. Saturday Profile Mansour Abbas, Israel's Kingmaker Until three years ago, Mansour Abbas, a resident of Magar, a small town in the northern Israeli region of Galilee, was known locally for running a dentist practice. He also served as a lay preacher in his spare time. Only in 2018 did he turn full-time to electoral politics. That year, when he won the leadership of Ra'am, United Arab List, a small conservative Islamist party, he might have expected to make only a modest impact on national politics. Suddenly, however, he looks like a kingmaker. Since he left dentistry, his prominence has grown exponentially. In 2019, he was elected to the Knesset, Israel's parliament, representing Joint List, an alliance of four Arab-Israeli parties. In early 2021, Ram split from Joint List, calling on Arab-Israeli politicians not to rule out joining a government in return for material gains for the Arab community. And on Wednesday, Mr. Abbas became the first leader of an independent Arab-Israeli party to agree to join an Israeli government. His decision to take his party into the coalition provides the opposition with just enough votes to replace Benjamin Netanyahu, Israel's longest-serving prime minister. That such a conciliatory figure would steal the limelight in Israeli politics was unlikely even a few weeks ago. Last month saw a bitter conflict between Israel and Palestinian groups in Gaza who traded rockets with airstrikes. Within Israel, Arab and Jewish mobs clashed. At least 256 people in Palestine and 13 in Israel were killed. Against this unpromising backdrop, on May 16th, Mr. Abbas joined a condolence visit to the family of an Arab man killed in the city of Lod. Alone, he then made his way to a local synagogue that had been torched. Meeting the town's Jewish mayor, he declared that, quote, Islamic values forbid harming holy places and offered his assistance in renovating the synagogue. The gesture brought Mr. Abbas both criticism and praise. It marked him as a rare Israeli politician trying to bring together both communities during conflict. The history books may conclude it was a crucial moment that helped to restart government formation talks, and it marked the beginning of the end of Mr. Netanyahu's 12 years in power. Finally, here's the quote of the day from John Maynard Keynes, who was born on this day in 1883. Words ought to be a little wild, for they are the assault of thoughts on the unthinking. That's it from the Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. 
You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.